This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 627 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm the internet's Joe Patrick and your head number one. And my name is Matt Baum. I'll be your head number two for this week's Cosmic Longbox episode. We'll be taking a look at classic comics featuring power switches. Today, our Cosmic Longbox theme is power switches. Sometimes it was an editorial mandate. Other times, it was just a creator trying to breathe some new life into an established character. For the most part, these new powers didn't stick around long, and you'll see why, for the most part. That was probably for good reason. Joe Patrick, who's getting the new power treatment first? My first character is Spider-Man. And the issue in question is Spectacular Spider-Man number 158 from Marvel Comics. The year was 1989. The acts of vengeance have come for Spider-Man. The Marvel villain's genius plan to go after each other's enemies leads the Trapster to clean the clock of a completely unprepared Spidey. Unfortunately for Trapster, (laughs) a freak laboratory accident, or so we think, Grants Peter vast new abilities, so the rematch goes down a bit differently. So just bad luck, man. Of course, we know now that Spider-Man was chosen to become the new wielder of the Captain Universe powers, and all the lab accident did was prevent him from getting the full Monty. I love this era of Spider-Man, especially spectacular. Uh, Pete still can't catch a break despite being married to a supermodel and a budding TV actress. (laughs) Finances are tight. One of his enemies has bought the Daily Bugle out from under J. Jonah Jameson. The Puma bought the Daily Bugle because Spider-Man saved his life. And so Puma thought he owed Spider-Man a life debt. So he bought the Daily Bugle? So he bought the Daily Bugle. And instead of doing all of the Spider-Man menace stuff, he started putting up billboards and running stories about how great Spider-Man is. Oh, so he literally bought the Daily Bugle to change the coverage. To change the... It, yeah, it, it's like, it's <laughs> like somebody buying Fox News to right. start a different... Like, all right, different we're done with this, okay? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's hilarious. Uh, and also, and also his mentor, Robbie Robertson, is in prison for failing to report a felony. That storyline is awesome. There was it's a lot humor. going on here, and I had I was lost, I know. man. I had no idea. <laughs> it doesn't like look, man. It doesn't matter. That's the that's the sort of thing that you like. Well, you I read the next one. No, or I I, one I, I, I understand that. I didn't get this was the cosmic thing either because they are just touching on it here. So I was like, something's going I mean, on. At the end of it, he's like making fists out of right. webs and shooting lasers out of his and fingers. And I thought, Matt, like, so. maybe this is the cosmic thing. Maybe that's where this goes. It says on but, the cover, Spidey goes cosmic. I know, I get that. But there was also this, like, without just reading it completely out of place, 
I didn't fully understand that's what was happening. I thought maybe this well, this happened some other time and this was a lab thing. And then I looked well, at the but, next I couple mean, issues. But that's just it. Neither did <laughs> Spider-Man. Right. Spider-Man didn't understand either. Not right. for a while. It was a whole thing. Writer Jerry Conway hits all the classic Spidey buttons and reading this felt like coming home again. I am a huge fan of legendary artist Sal Buscema. He draws one of my favorite Spider-Men ever. And his long run on Spectacular Spider-Man is a ton of fun. Now, that said, I originally read this on the Marvel Unlimited app. And whatever modern recoloring Marvel did oh, for awful. digital or for the trade paperback reprint does Buscema's art a huge disservice. Yeah. In this issue, he's credited with just doing the breakdowns, which uh, are a lot less rendered than full pencils. And then Mike Esposito came in and did the finished art. Uh, that did not matter to 11-year-old Joe Patrick. I remembered this issue being a visual beast. But not only did the digital coloring suck, but the line art suffered as well. And I was so surprised that it didn't live up to my memory that I actually sought out images of some of the print comic pages to compare the two. And the old stuff blows the new stuff away. Yeah, I did the same thing. I did it's the same like hands down. Spectacular Spider-Man 158 is a really exciting first chapter to a fun era of Spidey comics. Uh, it's just like another one of those things. The same thing happens with Superman in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about that where it's just like, well, the hero's got to make do with this dumb thing that's going on now. What's he going to do? I don't know. Uh, just remember, though, there's something about comics made for newsprint that doesn't always translate to more modern media, but I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I didn't realize that Sal Bushima was as important to that Spider-Man look that we think of today. You know, yep. like the Spidey, not just like a dude swinging on a rope, but like Spidey with his knees in the air and Spidey jumping, you know, really strange and Spidey with the webs sort of like knotted and ropey looking. I yeah. kind of attributed all of that to McFarlane because I didn't read a lot of Spidey from this era. And I honestly, I was kind of blown away that Sal Bushima was the guy that really pioneered all that. And this looks fantastic. The yeah, I mean, he would have he would have been like a he would have been a contemporary for sure. Eighty nine, McFarlane was on sure. the book, but I mean, yeah, it, it was Sal was right there, man. He was doing this before, though. I mean, like he'd been on there for a while. Now, how long yeah. did this cosmic shit stick around? This wasn't long, right? This was what? No, no, it wasn't long. A few it issues, was less than a. It was less than a year. It was like, a storyline, right? Well, I mean, look, none of the things we picked stuck around a long time, so. Um, Beg to differ. Uh -huh, okay. You'll see when we get to one here real quick. All right. Uh, so I would say uh, Acts of Vengeance, uh, it was over not long after Acts of Vengeance ended. And that couldn't have been more than like, I don't know, six months. This is just one storyline. They were farting around this Captain. Yeah. Universe but I mean, it was there. also spread over, you know, Amazing Spider-Man and Web of Spider-Man right. and Spectacular Spider-Man. So I it was saw, a lot of issues in a shorter amount. Of time. I definitely saw it in Amazing Spider-Man because that was the Spider-Man I was picking up at the time. So that's yeah. where I encountered it. I remember he beat up the Hulk. It was crazy. He, beat up, he punches the Hulk into yep. orbit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm giving a buy it. The, the, I'm giving the issue a buy it. I don't give a crap about Cosmic Spidey. And if now the reason that a power change like this I'm okay with is because it's just a storyline thing. 
They're not like, this is your new Spider-Man and he's got claws, you know, or whatever. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which they did try and do later on. But, you know, we're not talking about that one. Uh, they they did indeed. The the webhead. Just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. My first victim of the day is Hawkeye. Specifically, a story when Hawkeye got big. This is Avengers number 63 from Marvel. It was written by Roy Thomas with art by Gene Colan. For years now, Hawkeye's been dealing with insecurities because he's just a guy with a bow and arrow working with superpowered beings. And in this issue, he has trouble stopping a crashing rocket when his bowstring breaks, which is really just kind of a brutal bummer. That's not even his fault, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, the vision is there to do something other than cry, and he saves the day. But seriously, come on, Clint. Then Black Widow misses a check-in. But I mean, like, look, Hawkeye, don't feel too bad. You actually thought you were going to be able to stop a rocket with yeah, a bow and arrow. With magnetic arrows. So, I mean, yeah, maybe yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I will say the Vision did use the magnetic arrows to stop the rocket. So the plan was going to work. So the Black Widow misses a check-in while undercover, and Nick Fury calls in the team minus Hawkeye to check on her. You see, Clint's a little too emotionally involved, but we all know it's because he ruins everything. Also, Black Widow's original costume is here, and wow, is that something. This is back when she had black hair, she wore a domino mask, and like full black negligee, you know, like a spy. <laughs> it was terrible. She looked more like a femme fatale, you know, like it a was classic femme bad. It was really bad. After the team leaves, Hawkeye, Natasha calls him from captivity. She doesn't know where she's at, but Clint, he recognizes the sound of a roller coaster and horns on go-karts. So it's got to be the local uh, amusement park, right? It also just so happens Hank Pym is giving up his role as Goliath because his doctor said growing really big is what's making you go crazy, man. <laughs> so former Ant-Man becomes Yellow Jacket, leaves his growth formula at the mansion just in time for Hawkeye to drink it and get really big to go save Natasha. Now, he doesn't go there and then get big. He drinks it in the mansion, gets big in the mansion. Yes. And then rides an L train like a skateboard to right. <laughs> right. the amusement park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> when he gets there, Egghead and the Thinker have been holding Black Widow. It just so happens that they have a giant android for him to punch. And he's screaming, Holy Hannah the whole time. Was that a thing? Was that like yeah, his Holy, Holy Hannah? Uh, look, man, it's old. It's an old comic. But it was just Clint. Like maybe it was his, you know? Like the thing no, no, had no. clobber time. No, it wasn't like his catchphrase or anything. Okay. Of course, there's a giant android waiting to be punched. Clint would keep these Goliath powers for three years through the Kree Scroll War. That's when he became Hawkeye again. This was in Avengers 98. I get it. Clint is just a guy with bow and arrows. But Goliath was a weird choice for the character made for bad reasons. This was the beginning of his insecurities playing out as Clint taking on different personas. He becomes the Golden Archer. Later, he becomes Ronan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Golden Archer is a different character. He became the Golden Archer for a little while, no, too. The, the Golden Archer is from the Squadron Supreme. According to the Clint Barton Marvel fandom page, he first appeared as the Golden Archer in the pages of Captain America number 179 back in 1974. Mm hmm. Okay. When well, he was trying yeah. to impress everybody, I guess. I don't know. I guess. I would argue that changing powers because you're insecure is pretty lame. So I'm going to give this power switch a leave it. 
The art by Colin is excellent. I don't understand. Though. Okay. This is why I didn't this is why I didn't rate the powers individually, because that makes no sense. The ability to grow super big and strong is awesome. Why is that a leave it? I don't just the grill the ability to grow big and strong is awesome. But we recently found out it's driving someone insane as well. It's driving <laughs> it's driving somebody who already has mental problems insane. But they told him he doesn't know that. Clint's not a doctor. No, he knows that. He dude said, just showed up and said, "Yeah, when your brain gets big and goats get small, that's bad for you." And Clint's like, "Fuck it, I don't want to be bow and arrow guy anymore. I want to be big guy for a while." This is a bad reason to change powers. Okay, mm, there's nothing mm. wrong with Clint's powers, and he needs to just mm. stop being a crybaby. I love the story though. Colin's art, Roy Thomas was fantastic portraying the Avengers as these fallible people that are constantly fighting. Gene Colin's art is beautiful. I'm giving the book a buy it, but this was not a great time for Hawkeye. And like, <laughs> look, Hawkeye is just a guy that shoots bow and arrows. Get over it. That's what you do, man. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, I, I love this. I, it's, Every time we revisited Silver Age Avengers uh, in the Cosmic Longbox, oh, they're I've fun. Enjoyed myself. They're so fun. Yeah, and you know this one, this one is a classic. Hawkeye becomes Goliath. I've never read any of these stories before today, and uh, I always thought he looked cool. I liked that Goliath costume. You know, I don't disagree. But it's one, not his costume. Two, not no, his powers. And but three, it fits him like a he glove. He did it because he's a crybaby. <laughs> so no, you're right. I'm not saying that the. I'm not saying the motivations are good. They're all bad. <laughs> but uh, and like, look, if you had a chance to grow to giant size and ride a subway train like a skateboard, you'd do it. I'm you not saying it wouldn't. But it. if I was already a world class <laughs> archer and like had my hey. shtick, and someone said, "Hey, by the way, Matt, growing super tall and riding shit like that." Could make your brain go crazy. <laughs> I might think about it, you know? I don't smoke cigarettes because it could give me cancer. So <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have been like, hey, Reed Richards, make me a giant bow and arrow. And then I'll be a double threat. <laughs> giant archer. I like that's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But he didn't. He uh, just took somebody no, else's shtick. <laughs> this is a buy it. Uh, I, I thought it was a ton of fun. Uh, I, I love uh, the way that era of the Avengers speak to each other. Oh yeah. Like hold on there, mister, or you got it, brother. <laughs> it's, all like very, yeah. it's like, they're all, they're it's all a all bunch of like, like college basketball coaches feel like patting hey, each other on the butt. Hey basically. There, uh, high pockets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no, this is awesome. It's, it's a, it's a bite. Uh, I will tell you this though. Um, I was really caught off guard by the um, really, really, really off model depiction of the mad thinker. He was, instead of being a, a shaggy yeah. brown haired dude in a green jumpsuit, he was a blonde haired guy yeah. in an orange jumpsuit. I had no idea who it was until he said his name. And I went, yeah, if he didn't, oh. if he had not actually said <laughs> okay. the words mad thinker, I'd have been like, what? Who is this guy? I mean, they obviously somebody redesigned him shortly after this, I would assume, but like, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 no I don't clue. honestly know, but yeah, no, it was, it was weird. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice skyrocketing forward in time to the mid nineties. We've got Superman number 123. This is from DC comics, 1997. Remember how bored we were with Superman. Remember how it was yeah. just like, come on, can't we do something with this character? Please. Great Caesar's ghost following a ridiculous series of events, far too convoluted to go into here. 
I will though if asked. I didn't even want to. I didn't want to know. Oh man! <laughs> I, I, somebody I didn't please ask me. Even want to know? <laughs> Superman is being transformed into a being of pure energy. Soups has pulled his shit together for the time being, but a refugee from the bottle city of Candor, not that one, is trying to start trouble. Wait, what? <laughs> Again, look. If you want to, like, I think we should have a segment called Joe's Story Time. There's where the more than one bottled city of Candor. Where, where listeners request that I explain really convoluted <laughs> <Holy> shit. shit. <laughs> After somehow managing to still save the day, Superman is made whole again thanks to a containment suit whipped up by Professor Emil Hamilton using Kryptonian tech. And a mysterious gift from LexCorp, some sort of a special fabric <laughs> they had laying around, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was uh, experimental. They were going to make something with it. This comes from a pretty poorly regarded and often mocked era of Superman. But I thought then and still think now that it is a ton of fun. It's got a Silver Age sense of wonder to it that we don't see too often anymore. It's it's what I said earlier with the, the Spider-Man thing. It's just like. Here is a ridiculous thing that's happened to Superman, and now Superman has to figure out how to be Superman again. Uh, oh, but his body is is uh, fading into nothingness. Whatever will we do? Oh, no, he turns back into Clark Kent, and he's naked. Yikes. <laughs> I just love the idea of Superman being caught completely off guard by these new abilities and still managing to figure them out to remain the world's greatest hero. Like, hell, inside of a month, Grant Morrison had him wrestling angels and pushing the moon around using his electromagnetic powers. It's awesome. This comes from the lengthy Dan Jurgens run as head Superman writer and at his peak 90s event comics. Uh, there was some big to do every year for every major character. Matt joked about it earlier. Uh, and so what else do you do after killing a guy, resurrecting a guy, depowering a guy and getting a guy hitched? As part of the Triangle era, this issue is also bubbling with a ton of fun subplots and side characters that would weave through all of the other titles, and I had a blast revisiting them. Now, I will say, kind of like the, um, the Spider-Man one, the Superman subplots are on steroids. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. They go like this is we're talking about like four different titles worth of shit going on totally. all at once. And and like there's no setup. There's no like. No, just, no, no. They, they don't explain it. Hope no, you're no, no. on Nothing board, kid. <laughs> like. Yeah. Um, like, I don't remember. I don't remember what number. Uh, so the Triangle era uh, was was so named because the covers of each book would have a little triangle symbol on the cover. Uh, with a number inside of it, uh, the year and, and a number. And you would know where in the ongoing story that issue fell. Right. And so I don't remember what was on the cover of this issue, but it ain't one. All the, yeah, I'm telling oh, you God, this. No. I, like all <laughs> the like, writers no. and all the editors worked together and they had all these subplots that ran through all yeah, the yeah. comics. Okay. 19 was on the triangle. On this yes, one. right. <laughs> so. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. And so they would have these Superman summits where they would plan out the entire year's worth of Superman, uh, Superman storylines for four ongoing titles. Uh, and uh, it was glorious. Anyway, if you weren't reading those other two titles, I can imagine jumping into this cold and going, who the fuck, like, who the fuck <laughs> yeah. is the, had, who is the Contessa? I Lex had Luthor's wife? No what? idea what was happening. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. 
Ron Friends, the former Marvel artist that delivered excellent runs on Amazing Spider-Man and Thor, has jumped ship to DC by this point, and his expressive characters are and barrel-chested heroes are right at home. Look, I will agree that things went off the rails when we got into Superman Red, Superman Blue, and Millennium Giant territory. Like it was kind of like the Clone Saga; they didn't know how to wrap it up. But I was all in on Superman when Number One Twenty Three came out, and I enjoyed it just as much this time around. I'm giving it a buy it. So how long did this power stick around? Like, you know, again, I feel like it, it, it felt longer than it actually was. I want to say because it was running was 90. It was running through like four books. So it probably felt like two years. It, it felt like forever. Right. Um, uh, the Superman forever comic came out in 1998. So it was a year, a year. It was, it was a, about a year. We spent a year doing this. Um, uh, so, I mean, take that, Times fifty two, basically. So, so, yeah. so there's a it, like we're in rating these power changes and whatnot. Like I try to take into account things like was this germane to a storyline? Did they need this to get the character somewhere else, or was it just a shtick, or was it just like a fun little thing they did? I would argue this one went on way too long, way too long, and got so weird so fast. And Superman fans didn't care about this, right? This was no, not they what, did. Of course they did. did Superman they? fans are Superman fans. But yes. weren't there people that were really upset about this? I oh, well, yeah, certainly, Matt. <laughs> but look, they had killed the guy. Like, you know, like right. there was no surprise that DC was doing some shenanigans. They had killed him and they brought him back and then they did this. And I, as a, if I'm a Superman fan at the time, I would have been fucking pissed. They gave <laughs> him like, a what are you doing? <laughs> they, Come on. they gave him a mullet, they replaced him with four other characters. Like, look. So DC I, messing with Superman was nothing new by the time right. this book came out. I, I'm giving this the, like the power change aspect of it a complete leave it because it's just so uh, sticky and stupid. Right. But the book itself has a ton of spunk and is insane. It's insane. Yeah. Like the amount that is packed into this comic with all the subplots that are running through it. Yeah, you, you can't just pick one of these up and read it. it. It's impossible. And it's just from a different time when they were trying this experiment with storytelling in comics. And I don't even know how they could reprint these unless they're just omnibuses that flowed through everything. And they, and you called it the Superman triangle omnibus. I don't know. So I don't know if it's a success uh, they, or a failure. <laughs> they did put out, they did put out trades, I believe. Right. Uh, the Superman, the triangle era had a series of trades. They, yeah. I, I vaguely recall those. I, I love the art. I love friends. I, I'm going to give this a skim it because I see him working really hard. I never gave a I mean, crap that's fair. about this energy Superman. And I think it was just kind of a shtick for the power change. So, you know, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Now let's talk about what happened to Warren Worthington. The third in the pages of X factor volume one, number 24 from Marvel 1988. This is a story of a power change that is with us to this day. Joe that doesn't Patrick. mean it wasn't a shtick at that the time. Fundamentally changed this character forever going uh -huh. forward okay uh -huh. this was written by louise simonson with art by her hubby walter simonson cutest couple in comics folks coming out of the fall of the mutants event that left angel wingless after his wings had to be amputated thanks to the marauders pinning him to a damn wall with two harpoons i believe it was harpoon that did it warren gets really depressed and takes off in his private jet which was sabotaged by cameron hodge he blows up the jet, making it look like Warren killed himself, but we find out Apocalypse teleported him away right before the explosion. In this issue, 
Apocalypse has confronted X-Factor, calling them out as traitors for their mission, pretending to be humans, hunting mutants who are actually mutants, trying to help mutants. So not traitors at all. I guess Apocalypse just couldn't wrap his head around it. I don't know. <laughs> and then Apocalypse shows up with a big surprise. His horseman, Death. But it's Warren, a bald blue and red version with razor sharp organic steel wings that can shoot razor sharp feathers that look like spatulas. And they're covered with nerve inhibitors because awesome. <laughs> totally nuts. Warren's transformation into Archangel turned out to be permanent. There was a minute when he had some energy wings and then he had feathers again. And now he seems to be able to change back and forth from Angel to Archangel. But Archangel is still around. Oh, there was also a time where he was killed and returned as regular Angel, but his blood could heal people. And that was a whole thing. <laughs> Don't worry, that went away with a lot of other secondary mutation BS that we didn't need, and we're left with the current Angel Archangel. I'm giving this power switch a buy it. This wasn't quite the grim and gritty Marvel 90s yet, but Archangel certainly helped pave the way to those stories. This run by the Simonsons was excellent, and it, it marked some real character building for the original X team who had been pushed aside by the new cooler class of uncanny X-Men, and they stuck with it. There was a lot of people that hated this, that screamed and yelled about how upset they were, what they did to Warren, but they stuck with it, and this is where we're still at today. This is a huge buy it. Archangel, yeah. I mean, I thought Archangel was rad as hell. He's got the hardest costume to draw in hell all yeah. comics. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, that isn't just like a multicolored swirl of nonsense. Um, so many lines, so many lines. Uh, even like as a, as an angsty teen, when I was drawing Archangel on my notepad in high, in uh, junior high and high school, I was like, just fuck this costume. Oh, it's a nightmare, but they stuck with it. They, they did. They're yeah. like, this um, is it. So like <laughs> Warren wasn't killed. He actually, um, he healed. Right. So in the Joe Madureira era, the Madureira era, uh, the angel wings came back. Yeah. Like he shed all of the spiky wings and the angel wings grew back. He was still blue. Why? I don't know. He was still blue. It doesn't matter. Um, and so he was like happy again, right? He was happy and he was angel. And then at some point, I don't remember exactly why or how, um, the blue skin went away. I'll tell you what happened. Wolvesbane ripped his wings off. <laughs> Wolvesbane ripped his wings off and the metal wings grew back. No, no, no. I mean, when did his blue skin go away and he became. Oh, they. And he, and he, and I, he, I, I know it was circa the Chuck Austin era because that's where that healing blood shit came from. Yeah, because that was when he full on died and resurrected. And then he was. A I healing, don't remember him dying. No. And then he was a healing angel. I don't remember him dying. No, I just remember him having a secondary mutation where his blood healed people. Ugh. Um. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. He's been through a roller coaster, but the, the ultimate twist was like, surprise, once you get infected by apocalypse, you always get infected. You're always infected yeah, by apocalypse. Like you're not going like better. Herpes. Yeah. It doesn't get better. You can take a point pill. You can put on some ointment, but you're always going to have a little bit of apocalypse in you. And uh, now, yeah, now uh, through the whole Krakoa thing, he can kind of, he seems to be able to shift back and forth at will. Uh, yes. I think Archangel is rad. Uh, this comic was great. Uh, totally I've, great. I've only read like around it. Uh, I've read bits and pieces of that run. 
And so I think I've read the issue. I've read the issue where he gets his wings cut off or um, damaged. Right. I've read that fall of the mutants issue or mutant massacre issue. Um, but this was the first time I'd read him showing up as death. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's great. Uh, the art is great. Like Walt Simonson is the artist is a, is the sort of artist where today, if you looked at his art, and you didn't like live through it at the time. I can see how somebody might look at his art and go, I don't know, man. Yeah. The gold horse dog things. Those are kind of, that's, that's, well, I mean, I don't, I don't, a, just, I don't mean that. Like that's, that's a, a choice. design choice. I mean like the actual art stuff. Like I can see, I can see some, a modern reader seeing Simonson for the first time and not really getting it. Yeah. But I looked at this comic and I was blown away by like the draftsmanship of it totally. and, and uh, the way he like laid out a page and, and yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, it's a huge buy it for me. This is a great issue. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green lanterns light. Moving right along. We've got green lantern 145. This is also from DC comics. It's from 2002. Real world star turned comic writer Judd Winnick made some pretty huge moves with Kyle Rayner back in the early 2000s. And this is where things start to get wild. <laughs> the Quardians, the weapon building race of beings from the antimatter universe that created Sinestro's yellow ring, have given that ring to a paranoid schizophrenic mental patient named Alexander Nero in an attempt to kill Green Lantern. Why Nero? Because his manic delusions would bring the ring's power to life in a way that rivaled Kyle's artistic imagination, which makes total sense to me. Sure. It's a crazy person. Yeah. Well, they did their job a little too well because now Nero is after the remaining power of the Green Lantern Central Power Battery, which was left behind after Hal Jordan died restarting the sun. Don't ask unless you want to ask Joe story time coming soon. Different power switch after you. that, by the way. <laughs> totally. That's a totally different power, different switch, power yeah. switch. Long story short, Kyle has no choice but to claim the power himself, which transforms him into the godlike being known as Ion. Sounds great, right? Uh, Not really. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't learn about that until later. Uh, Winnick had been stretching the limits of Kyle's abilities for a while, so it was fun to see that reach its kind of peak here. Winnick is great with dialogue and he has a good grasp of Kyle's character. Um, we don't see that much in this issue, but he also did a lot of great things with his supporting cast, John Stewart, uh, Alan and Jade. Um, they're basically, this is Kyle's show. They're basically just here to right. react for one quick scene. A much younger Dale Eaglesham is on art duties here. And it's really fun to see how far he's come from this to last week's United States of Captain America. His art was great even back then. Not too long after this, maybe a year or two after this, he took over uh, Hero, the Will Pfeiffer book Hero, yeah, which yeah. was the modern version of Dial H for Hero. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal series, and he is amazing on it. He also does an awesome job depicting the difference between Nero's constructs, which are just like nightmares. They're monstrous nightmares and Kyle's, which are artistic looking and more heroic, you know, superheroes and barbarians and robots. Totally. Green Lantern 145 seemed like a really big deal for the character back in the day. You have to remember that this was before any rebirths. There wasn't a rainbow assortment of rings. The Green Lantern Corps and Sinestro were dead and gone. Kyle Rayner was it. 
and Alan Scott and Jade and eventually John <laughs> Stewart. Like, well, but, but you get it. But you get it. Like yeah. it, Kyle started when Kyle got his start. That was it. Right. He was it. Right. Kyle's transformation into Ion was a huge step forward for the character, and it was really neat to revisit it for the first time in nearly twenty years. I can't believe it's been twenty years. I remember buying this off of the rack at Krypton Comics after I started working there. 2002. It was after I started working there. Uh, it's uh, We are wretchedly old. Uh, this is a huge buy it. I love it. Uh, as far as being Ion goes, it's for the birds because uh, yeah. suddenly you don't sleep. You're in every place at once. Yeah. You're 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 negotiating interplanetary it's a peace weird, treaties it's a while really you're in bed weird, with your girlfriend. It's a weird power change. And yeah, yeah. I don't I didn't love it. And I love this run of Green I mean, Lantern. It's basically it's it's basically being parallax without being evil about it. More or less. Yeah. He was not evil parallax. Right. But it also didn't bother him that much either. He was like, oh, I'm OK with this. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's well, he's like that now. Right. You know, but eventually like he, he very quickly gives up the power. You know, just a little bit more history. He, like, he eventually, uh, not it, not eventually. It's not too long before he gives up the power. Uh, he restores John Stewart's ability to walk. That's another whole long story. Yeah, and then he reignites um, the power, the the lantern, doesn't it? The, the power source. He yes, he re he re he recreates Oa and reignites the central power battery. There's there's no Green Lantern core, but the Guardians start to be reborn. Right. So they, and that's the start of the re. Uh, that's the start of the return of the Green Lantern. The whole thing is an anti-parallax story, more or less. Yes, exactly. Like uh, Hal sought power because he was out of his mind with grief, right? Because the town that he lived in, um, three days out of the year, <laughs> got destroyed by a supervillain, and only his girlfriend, his brother, and his entire family survived. Right. So you know. Let's kill all my friends that's and become a, a that's a whole different a story. Mad God, but like Winnick uh, was but working. Kyle, Kyle did it out of an altruistic place, right? Winnick was working here, telling it like what would turn out to be an anti-parallax story, and yeah, yeah, and I liked it, and I liked this character a lot, and it, and so the power change serves the story, and it and yeah. it works. So I'm giving both. I'm saying it's a cool power change. I'm giving the book a buy it. Love Dale Ligasham. Love this run. Oh, so good. Green Lantern coming at us. Blast him. Destroy him. Let's stay on the Green Lantern tip. Sort it's of. A, speaking of runs that I love. <laughs> Let's sort of stay on the Green Lantern tip. But we're going to jump back to 1994 for Guy Gardner, Warrior Zero from DC. This is written by Bo Smith with art by Mitch Bird. The way you said that made it sound like that that was the title of the book. Guy Gardner, colon, Warrior Zero. <laughs> it was 1994, and Zero Hour was the DC event of the day. So yeah, buddy. all the DCU titles got zero issues that would reveal a previously unknown aspect of the title character's background. And in this issue, we learn that Guy part alien <laughs> it's a whole thing at the time guy had lost his green lantern ring and his right eye turns out parallax who we were just talking about punched his eye out he traveled to the naba jungle along with buck wargo who's like a buck wargo yeah a doc savage analog treasure hunter to find the warrior water which legend says will give powers to the drinker if they are worthy well actually it will activate their dormant vulgarian abilities if they have them. Yeah. These abilities 
paint their skin with red and blue stripes, changes their pants to black, and gives them knee pads, oh, and matching gloves. <laughs> it's no, temporary ta- It's temporary tattoos. No Look, shirt, though. No pow- shirt. Powers, powers that change the costume are nothing new, so I don't, don't put that baggage on guy. These are genetic powers, though. That's the thing. No, so no, it's not care. like he gets a magic care. suit, all right? These are genetic powers. I don't care. The Voldarian powers also allow the wielder to transfer their limbs into weapons, including but not limited to energy weapons. So yeah, yeah. You, you don't just shoot lasers out of your hands. You make a really gross noise. Your hand turns into a gun and yeah. that gun can shoot lasers. <laughs> like, like bushwhacker, <laughs> but without bullets. I suppose. This issue spends its time spelling out the history of the Voldarians, who are basically just another Green Lantern Corps mandated Kinda. to protect the universe, but they're way more violent. The Voldarians flew around the universe, endowing different creatures with their powers just like the Green Lantern Corps, but they did it with a shot from their middle finger. One of which happened to be a cave person who was an ancestor of Guy's. The best part of Guy's ridiculous well, power change. Well, not a cave person. They said centuries, not millennia. Well, I mean, like this person <laughs> like wore fur he was like and a tri- stuff. He was like a tribal, you know, I mean, he was tribal. He looked like he lived in a cave to me. He wasn't a caveman. The no. best part of Guy's ridiculous power change was it didn't come from Bo Smith. But according to Smith, Guy's new shape-shifting abilities were editorially mandated to capitalize on the success of the mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> I think that we actually talked about this at some like, point. What? I think we I think we've I think we looked this up at some point. This adds, it leads me to believe that the DC editorial did not know what yeah, Mighty yeah, Morphin yeah. Power Rangers was about. No, yeah, it's for sure. It's like it, <laughs> what's her name? Mighty Morphin. Okay, so they change. Yeah, yeah, got it. So they morph. They morph. Right. They, no problem. They, All right. They, they, so they're, they're, they're their hands turn into guns. Right. No problem. We yeah, got yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This has to be the worst reason I can possibly think of to change <laughs> a character's powers. And also, what in the fuck, DC? Did you even watch the show? <laughs> Gardner would go on to use his Voldarian powers until 2005. Yeah, this years. This lasted for a very long time. A, a decade, yeah. When Hal Jordan would end up restoring his ring during the Green Lantern Rebirth miniseries. As a power change, I cannot think of a worse one. It's an I absolute love it so much. Now, I will give Smith props for writing an interesting issue with a full background for his character update, even if it is pretty Green Lantern derivative, Bird's yeah. art is really great and almost has like this early Sam Keith vibe to it with like overstated yeah, anatomy kinda. Right, and, yeah. and like cartoonish action. Great letter column too. They called it Guy Talk, which I he answered his own letters. <laughs> I love it when they do that. Character, the character answered his own letters. Yeah, I'm giving this issue a buy it. The power yeah, no, change. Awesome. The power change is stupid. It's look, okay. dumb. Yes. All right. Look. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. I'm gonna try to be as I'm gonna try to be as brief as I can be because you guys all know how much I love Guy Gardner Warrior. <laughs> it's on record. There are many episodes of the show dedicated to my adoration. We, we did Gardner. an episode, Guy Gardner. This is your life. There'll be a link yes, to it in the did. notes. Yes, we did. Uh, now uh, I have not read this since I plucked it from the 19 cent bin at ground zero comics in Bellevue, Nebraska. Do you remember the 19 cent bin, Matt? I can't say that I do. I I didn't go to uh, that one very often. They were cheaper than a quarter because they put a big postcard sized gold sticker with their address on it on the cover, which probably cost 10 cents. 
Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So they were losing their I mean, ass. It cost, I, like, I can't imagine how much it cost them to make those. Um, so anyway, yeah, I haven't read it in forever. Uh, I loved this run. I, I think Bo Smith took a character that was very one note at the time. It was like Guy Gardner. He's a jerk. He's a jerk and he fights crime. Well, but isn't there anything more to his character? No, he's a jerk. And he fights crime. Oh, by the way, he also has a clone. He does? Yeah, he's got a clone. His clone is an even bigger jerk. We're calling him Joe. Joe Gardner. Okay. What else? Well, his dad was a uh, his brother was a cop, okay. but he died. Let's let's bring it back to I, this like, I'm just saying, like, like issue Bo, and the Bo power Smith, change. I, yes, mm-hmm. Bo Smith took a basket full of lemons and made a very strange pitcher of lemonade. Out I, of it. I don't disagree. Yes, and I, uh, like now that you now that you have reminded me about that shit about the Power Rangers, and I've reread this issue for the first time since then. I'm like, oh yeah, Bo Smith just had a job to do. And he came up with this ridiculous idea about the Valdarians. <laughs> and you know, when they came to him, they were like, yeah, you know, like the Power Rangers. And both yeah. went, uh-huh. Sure. And look, <laughs> look and I promise you this. I okay. promise you this. Bo Smith, <laughs> Bo Smith has probably also never seen the Power Rangers. Probably not. But uh, I, I love it. I, I love this issue. Uh, despite its very, like, wordy, ridiculous exposition, Mitch Bird is an amazing artist. He really is. An amazing artist. Like, I don't recall him doing much else. He drew Guy Gardner. He went away from comics completely. And then he came back and he drew the last two issues of Guy Gardner and then disappeared. I just think he made his living doing something else. Probably. I just don't think he was known for being a comic book artist. The the powers. Yeah. You can turn your body into weapons. That's kind of cool, right? Is it Guy Gardner? No, I'm not. Is it, is it silly? Yes. Yeah, I'm not saying that the power itself is not like kind of cool is or whatever. Is Guy Gardner's warrior costume terrible? Oh my yes. God. <laughs> it's so bad. It's very bad. It's very it's bad. It's not a Did costume. I... There are professional wrestlers that wear more yeah. costume than this. <laughs> did I love it with my whole heart? Yes, I did. This issue gets a bite. Oh no. Speaking of costume changes, let's get to <laughs> probably the best costume change I can think of in the history of comic books. <laughs> Boy, uh, all right. This would work. This one would work for costume change too. Power switch and costume change. Yeah, it's both. It. It's both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so far a lot of them we've done have have been that way. But yeah, uh, jumping forward a decade, we've got Civil War Frontline number ten from Marvel. This book came out in two thousand and seven, which is uh, just slightly past. Uh, the time Guy Gardner stopped being warrior. <laughs> Starting with Civil War, Marvel decided to put out a companion series for its big events that focused on minor players or the human side of things. Frontline was the first. Uh, it should have been the last. God, it was garbage. It was uh, garbage. And they did it for a long time. And it, for several events, they did it. Just like, hey, you know who we should follow during the Civil War? Robbie Robertson and J. Jonah Jameson. Their story is <laughs> sure. going to be gripping. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it might be gripping, but yeah. For the purposes of this review, I'm talking about the second story in this issue, The Accused, for nine straight issues. Readers <laughs> got to see Robbie Baldwin, a.k.a. Speedball, a character known for embodying the youthful exuberance of 90s teens, descend into a pit of self-loathing and masochism due to his unfortunate involvement in the tragedy that inspired the Superhuman Registration Act. 
finally, writer Paul Jenkins has brought us to Robbie's quote unquote final incarnation. <laughs> the spiked SM anti-hero penance. We see Robbie, who by the way, used to bounce around on brightly colored balls like a cartoon character. Rub his freedom in the face of a man whose daughter died in the Stanford tragedy for no good reason whatsoever. Like literally, I could not figure out why yeah, Robbie was there but like, to say, guess no, what, sucker? I'm free and you're not. I don't care that your daughter's dead. Peace out. He seems to go in there and he's like, here's the deal. I'm going to get you out of jail, but not because I'm a nice guy. I'm doing it because I'm an asshole. And the guy's like, no, all I have is my hatred of you. And he's like, too, yeah, right. too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, what, why are you getting this guy out of jail then? Just let him rot. It's, you know? it's idiotic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he also burns his speedball gear as some kind of ritualistic gesture. And finally, he adorns the bespiked penance armor. One point for each person he supposedly killed. And you just know that some of those went into his nuts. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, this all happens while he writes his mom the most tortured emo letter about how her son is dead <laughs> and never coming home. And also, I have nut spikes now. Hey, by the way, turn give the my love to the cat. It is beyond terrible. For years, I placed the artistic blame for this monstrosity at the feet of Ramon Box. But he was the artist of the lead story. Yeah. This nonsense was drawn by Steve Lieber. We love beloved Steve Lieber. Artist. <laughs> we beloved love artist. Steve, Lieber. Steve was just doing a job. He uh, was doing a job, man. Yeah, he was. You're right. Beloved artist of Superior Foes of Spider-Man and Jimmy Olsen. The line art is fine, I guess. Uh, but the coloring by Jun Chung is lifeless. The entire story is visually joyless. It's gray and brown and just muddy, which is exactly what they were going for, I guess. Civil War Frontline number 10 was a tremendously miscalculated attempt to make a character known for being a bright, fun idiot, cool and edgy, and he absolutely didn't need it. Reading this made me mad all over again. Leave it with extreme prejudice oh by the way you want to know what his new powers are instead of being bouncy he causes explosions yep <laughs> makes total sense right he I, just causes explosions i want to know whose idea this was was this paul jenkins or did they give this job to paul jenkins like I, man i don't know i want to know I, whose I, idea this was because civil war like kicked off with the new warriors blowing up this school basically in this town and killing a bunch right. of people, you know? And I want to know whose idea this was. And I can't, I looked around and I couldn't find, I found a bunch of people that like were guessing, but I can't find a definitive. This is who decided yeah, it should right. be, you know? And maybe yeah, like, I don't, I don't know who is to blame. For maybe penance. nobody wants to own it is my guess. <laughs> That's probably accurate. This is the most bizarre idea to try and update a character like speedball into this emo cutter you know masochist character that is impossible to care for impossible it's not like he's not even like spawn where he's like well i'm just dark and creepy no yeah no he's no, just no, a no. petulant crybaby asshole more or right. less <laughs> and god the design, like, if you like, if there was a bad guy that showed up wearing this outfit and he's a bad guy and I don't know, he, he fights Wolverine or something. Okay. The, the character design is all right. But I, and I don't feel shit for Speedball, 
But doing this to this character is so egregious and so lame yeah, yeah. and just like pure shock value. Pure shock value, baby. And yeah. guess what? No one cared. I distinctly right. remember. People weren't even mad. They were just like, oh, they, no, no, people were mad. People well, were mad. You were mad. But, but those, most people no, were those like, were the only reactions. It was indifference or anger. Right. Nobody was like, oh, yeah, penance. 99% of the people out there didn't give a shit about speedballs when they did this. And we just went, well, I still don't care. <laughs> that's I love how no. you speak for 99% of people. You don't know. Nobody cared. A lot of fans you out there. You were the only one that was mad. I remember even Big Mike no. was like, who cares? It's speedball. <laughs> no. Roderick, Roderick Ruth, he loves speedball. He hates penance. Uh, you know, Matt, you know what's fun about you know what's fun and cool about penance? What's that? Of the, of the 612 spikes on the inside of his costume, 60 of them are longer than the others. Do you know why? No. Because those represent the 60 kids he killed. Okay, leave it. The I kids. Don't, I just don't care. Think leave of the it. children. This is such a stupid stunt. And it's like, awful. God. It fucking sucks. It's it's like I'm so mad. And like, if you want to do a story where the new warriors fucked up and and they need to learn a lesson or redeem themselves or something, okay, that's fine. This is too far and just stupid. And by yeah, the way, yeah, yeah. nobody else in the new warriors went this far off the deep end. Everybody else is just like, no. I'm gonna lay low for a little while. That was bad. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> you know? uh, they, uh, the, ones that, the ones that survived right. certainly did not. Like, Namorita did not, didn't like yeah. start cutting her face. <laughs> I mean, Namorita got a, a, a disintegrated. But yeah, yes. Whatever. So we all agree that the speedball penance thing was pretty dumb. But Joe Patrick, I'd like to tell you about the time when the Punisher became an angel. And I'm not making <laughs> this up. This is Punisher number one from Marvel, 1999. It was written by Michael Golden and Tom Snagowski with art by Bernie Wrightson. This is a super team. This is a horror super team here, okay? What uh, if I In theory, yeah, uh, uh, technically. This is the, Michael Golden, like, wrote a bunch of, like, the Hellboy pros, worked on some great sure, Hellboy sure, books. Yeah, no, Bernie sure. Wrightson is the creator of the Swamp Thing as we know it. I mean, yeah. these are, and we love Snigowski. He's written some great shit. What if I told you this iconic horror team attempted to reinvent the Punisher as a supernatural angel of vengeance? Would you be interested? Okay, probably not. Sounds a little hokey, right? Stay with me. What if I told you Frank Castle's guardian angel brought Frank back from the dead after Frank killed himself? Off panel, by the way. So the angel could no, get it in a different different comic. I don't think it did. No, it did. Are you certain of that? Yes, the I, comic where Frank died. Like there, there is a comic where Frank dies. Okay, yes. I could not find the suicide anywhere. Uh, I will. You keep talking. I'll okay. see if I can figure it see out. See if you can find it because he shoots himself in the head in an alley. So the angel brings him back just so this angel could get another shot at making up for not protecting Frank's family when they were murdered. Yeah, that happened. Frank, of course, finds this out by beating it out of his own guardian angel. <laughs> yeah. Now, this Punisher only returns when desperate victims visit the alley where Frank shot himself, begging for vengeance. When he does show up, he's still wearing the skull, but now he has glowing red eyes and a glowing brand on his forehead and access to the arsenal of heaven. You heard that right. Heaven. 
has an arsenal of weird-looking guns well, that fire spirit bullets. <laughs> of course. There's a typical war between heaven and hell with Frank caught in between. He's still killing criminals, but he's also going after rogue angels and devils. Now, we need to keep in mind it had been two years since the last Punisher series where writer John Ostrander had Frank going undercover in a mob family. He slicked his hair back and everything. And then he later... He had a ponytail. He joined S.H.I.E.L.D. in that series. So needless to say, the Punisher was ripe for Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmietti's Marvel Knights imprint at Marvel that was, quote, breathing new life into second-tier characters. <laughs> if nothing else, this was the last Punisher book before Marvel said, all right, we fucked up. Let's go back to basics. Give it to Garth Ennis, and we'll do the Welcome Back Frank run, which is just the Punisher. And by the way, I don't think any creator ever did a better job cleaning up a mess like this than Garth Ennis when he very simply, on page two of Welcome Back Frank, has the Punisher address this, all this angel bullshit by saying, I died, I went to heaven, I came back, I'm feeling much better. <laughs> just yeah. like, it's over. Don't worry about it. The power change here is stupid it, it's I, dumb i cannot give it a bigger leave it i see this team working they wrote the story about as well as they probably could have but it's just impossible to care about angel punisher and it is not what this character needed nor is it what punisher fans wanted i love bernie wrightson i did not love his art here either this book is a leave it we need to forget about this book it's yes. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Uh, just uh, to quickly address the earlier question, uh, I I misspoke. I, I kind of conflated two storylines. There was a storyline where Frank goes crazy. Yes. And uh, he seemingly kills Nick Fury. Uh, that was, not, was an, that's not what I'm talking about here. It, no, no, I know it was an, it was an LMD. It wasn't really Nick Fury, but I thought that at the end of that, where like Frank was driven insane and he kills Nick Fury that that's when he died. But no, um, it says here, Frank was convinced by demons led by the villain of this run to commit suicide. Yes. Off panel. <laughs> well, I think maybe they probably they probably reveal it in a future issue. It's uh, a well, issue. there is a scene in this in this issue where there's one panel where he's like looking at the gun. He's like, mm. no, I see. I'm not. Yeah, no, I'm saying <laughs> like the, it's the revelation comes in this run that okay. that's why that's why he died. God. But yeah, no, I, that was my mistake. I thought that he he died in a previous run. He did not, uh, but he did in fact go undercover for a mafia crime family. Right. And he had long hair and a ponytail. This issue just opens surmising that the Punisher is already dead because he shot himself. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's true. There uh, you go. No, uh, this comic book is bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. Bernie Wrightson. Uh, He's a master. I had to look and I had to look because Bernie Wrightson is a master. And I know that sometimes, you know, we run into uh, dudes from the old guard coming back and, and they're not what they once were. Sure. However, I don't think Bernie Wrightson lost his touch. I think uh, that this was an inking problem because this issue was inked by Jimmy Palmiotti. I think so too. And it looks nothing like Bernie Wrightson. Yeah, it looks nothing. like it looks like Jimmy Palmiotti trying to make Bernie Wrightson sort of look like Joe Casada. And Bernie Wrightson Maybe, is I not don't even Joe Casada, uh, but he's not. Yeah, and, uh, so the art is not the art is not great. Um, I actually really didn't care for the writing at all either. The concept is stupid. Oh, God. Um, 
And yeah, this whole exercise is best left forgotten. It is a leave it from me. <laughs> yeah, it's just terrible. Buddy, we read about some pretty crazy mixed up new powers slapped on heroes for all kinds of reasons. But which one of these comics is going in the THN permanent collection? I mean, it's easy for me to say like the X Factor book, but the X Factor book is already in my permanent collection. So I'm not going to count it. <laughs> okay. And I wanted to be like, no, Matt, you have to pick. Something else that surprised you. And quite honestly, it was Guy Gardner Zero. Guy Gardner Zero, like, is so dumb. And, and it is so, like, the idea is so bizarre, but they did such a great and personable job with the character that I can't resist it. I, I, it's great. I gave the book a buy. You know, I said it the does power change is stupid. There was a panel that made me sick to my stomach while I was reading lunch. And yes, the, uh, guy, the, guy, the warrior powers are very wet. God, they're gross. It's, yeah, such, it's body yeah. horror. It's straight up body horror. It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know what? It does my heart good to hear you saying that yeah. <laughs> because you know how I feel about them. Um, for me, though, it is, uh, it is spectacular Spider-Man because uh, just not only do I think that the powers are fun and the, uh, the storyline is fun, but the added wrinkle of it being Spider-Man, like perpetual loser Spider-Man having to cope with suddenly being the most capable person on the planet. Yeah. And I would argue that is probably the best power switch that we read because yeah. it, again, they're not trying to do something that's like, it's a new hip, cool Spider-Man for now. No, it's just a storyline. And it's playing right. on the, like the Parker Luck and all that. It, it's like when he got six arms. Nobody thought he was going to have six arms forever. It didn't last too long. You know, they did the thing. They got out. It was done. And it was fun. Yeah. Some of this other shit, you know that some of these creators are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Superman. It's my time. We're never going back. This is your new no, Superman. They, He's awesome. <laughs> they knew that I that wasn't it. long for this one. I reinvented Superman. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You can always find all the books we're going to be talking about on the show every week on our Twitters and our Facebook if you want to read along with us. Also, we want to know what you thought about these weird power changes and anything else that you read this week. Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it on Saturdays. It happens on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. There are no more Saturday cartoons. So, hey, you got nothing else going on. Come on. What are you, golfing? You're a nerd. Right, you so, ain't golfing. Get out of on. town. <laughs> now that we've reincorporated in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum once again in our own sacred timeline, it's time to talk about our must-read picks for Wednesday, July 14th. Matt, if you're only buying one book next week, what is it? It's a little bit of a slim week, but I am excited about this one. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number one from DC. It's $3.99. It's written by Tom Taylor with art by John Timms. And here's your solicit. Jonathan Kent has experienced a lot in his young life. He's traveled the galaxies with his Kryptonian grandfather and lived in the future with the Legion of Superheroes, who were intent on training him for the day his father, Clark Kent, could no longer be Superman. There's a hole in the Legion's history that prevents John knowing exactly when that will happen. Otherwise, you know, why are we worried about it? But all signs point to it being very soon. It's time for the son to wear the cape of his father and bear the symbol of hope that has told the world who Superman really is. 
Join writer Tom Taylor, Nightwing, deceased, and artist John Taylor. I already told you that. We love Tom Taylor. And it's about goddamn time Tom Taylor got some books that actually take place in DC continuity. And that yeah. is not, if you like the other stuff he's doing, that's great. His Nightwing is must read shit. And I, yes. this is fun because he gets to play with Jonathan Kent. He's doing Superman without the Superman baggage, and I'm excited. This is going to be great. By the way, Jonathan Timms, that dude kicks ass. His art He's is good. Yeah. awesome. He drew uh, Bendis' Young Justice yes. as well. It's beautiful. My pick for next week is Ninjack, number one from Valiant. It's written by Jeff Parker with art by Javier Polito. It is also $3.99, and here's your solicit. Out of the shadows and into the spotlight, the world's greatest super spy has been exposed. Colin King is Ninjack, and he has a target on his back like never before. With enemies lurking around every corner, how will Ninjack survive when there's nowhere left to hide and the world is gunning for him? Hang on to your hats, folks. Jeff Parker and Javier Polito are about to take you on a non-stop thrill ride. I love Jeff Parker. I really like Jeff Parker. I love Jeff Parker, too. And I also love Javier yeah, Polito. Absolutely. I love him. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you know what? I like, I'll, I'll admit it. I don't really have too much invested in the character of Ninjack, but whatever. I love this creative team. And this is kind of right in line with this whole like new spy theme we're sliding into for the remainder of the month. Yeah, you know, it goes with our Black Widow theme. Speaking of which, the THN trade of the week goes to Taskmaster Rubicon Trigger from Marvel. It's $15.99. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Alessandro Vitti, and here's your solicit. Taskmaster has murdered Shields Maria Hill, or at least that's what the whole world thinks. Now the greatest spies in the business are hunting him down and won't stop until the Taskmaster is dead or can clear his own name. So begins a globe-spanning adventure that will send ripples through the Marvel Universe espionage community. Taskmaster's next target, Phil Coulson, which is good because Phil's going to take over the world next year. <laughs> so, <laughs> but No spoilers. Coulson isn't alone in Washington, D.C. He's got the entire Squadron Supreme of America on speed dial, which, again, really plays into next year. And when Taskmaster's hunt brings him to South Korea, he'll have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the White Fox. His next stop is sunny Wakanda, home to Okoye and the feared Dogs of War. Can the Taskmaster find the doomsday device that Maria Hill died to protect? Or will he be played by the true mastermind behind it all? This is collecting Taskmaster 1 through 5 that came out last year. We reviewed number one on the show. It's great. We very much enjoyed it. It's very good. And I believe we've decided this is going to be our THN book club read for July. Is that correct? I think it can be, yes. Right? I mean, why not? It's Black Widow themed. It's fun. We haven't read a Taskmaster story and I don't know how long. Taskmaster is about to get his movie debut. Let's do it. It's going to be great. Let's do it. It's going to be great. Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read. And like Matt said, pick up Taskmaster Rubicon Trigger. What does that even mean? I don't know. Read the book. Yeah. If you want to participate in the THN book club read for July. Rubicon Trigger just sounds like spice. Rubicon Trigger. Right? James Bond. Rubicon Trigger. And you're like, oh, shit. I got to see that. Yeah. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 627. And next week, we're back to new comic reviews and the comic pushers return to get you junkies hooked on some Black Widow comics just in time. I don't know if you heard. There's a movie that's finally coming out. 
this freaking weekend. Go figure. <laughs> there is a movie that's coming out. Thank God. If you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. You heard me talk about it earlier. It's called THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday, 11 to noon, Central Standard Time, hosted on our Facebook page. And do not forget, we've got a question of the week here, kids. That's right. This week's question comes courtesy of Matt Baum. And it is, again, Black Widow-inspired. He wants to hear about your favorite comic book spies, spy agencies, and spy smashers. That's right. Spy stuff. Espionage. Spy stuff. Let's get into it. Uh, please hit us up with your question of the week suggestions. We always need those, and they are always appreciated. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. If that's what you're going to do, you're going to send a message, leave a message. Remember to keep it two minutes or less and share the air with those live listeners. If you're new to this show and you're mad that your guardian angel suggests it to you so you want to kick them straight in the balls, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN their digital long box archive at twohittednerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. You want to thank patrons like the biggest Superman fan we know, a guy that was personally offended when Superman turned blue and then split into two and turned red and blue. And his name is Rusky South, y'all. You know what? That I'd guy like, I would like was to fact check that. mad. No way he put up with that shit. No oh, yeah. Nah, he loves it all. This week's shout out goes to legendary director Richard Donner who remains the only filmmaker to make a good Superman movie. He reinvented the gang of adventurous kids genre with the Goonies, and he channeled the power of high-quality cocaine to create one of the best buddy cop films of the 80s, Lethal Weapon. Donner passed away this weekend, and there was not a dry eye in the ziggurat while we revisited Superman the movie from 1978. Where do you, Richard Donner? It is a rough loss. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just make you do the truffle shuffle next time you come to the comic shop. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Really, when, you, when it comes down to it, that's just body shaming. Well, I mean, Chunk was fat, and that was funny back in the day, so there you go. I guess you should pick up your comics. <laughs> pick up your comics, fatso. <laughs>